This is DJ Leary, our local poet and very interesting local artist. We're just thrilled to have you here. Thank thanks you. For, thanks for coming. Appreciate that. So we met at a gallery that I used to have. Uh, actually, it was Melinda's Place, mm-hmm. Meditative Art Studio, and I was Meditative Arts Gallery. I was very clever with the name. Mm-hmm. It was a reach. If you laugh, laugh into the mic. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best part of the show. So one of the reasons I have her because she's got a great laugh. There you go. Yeah, yeah. She. One. Her. Over there. <laughs> so one of the things uh, we do on this show, well, the one thing we do on the show is talk about art, visual art, mm-hmm. mostly. And that's my comfort zone because I'm a visual person and I don't do words well at all. Like sure. I, as you can see, I can barely speak. I don't understand words written by other people. I don't understand what other people are saying. So we had we decided to have a poet on and DJ is a poet. <laughs> What we had talked about when we had the gallery was that art is so many different things, you know, and um, just like how I met DJ, I met you at the Phoenix Public Market, Mm -hmm. and I just heard this click, 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 clicking, and I walked up to this interesting looking guy, and I'm like, what are you doing? (laughs) He was writing poetry on his automatic typewriter, not automatic, like just a little... No, it was manual, yeah. A manual typewriter. manual typewriter, yeah. and nope, it was nope so books. it was so cute, and I really have a love of manual typewriters. I have two. I was just kind of experimenting with them with my own writing. It's just a different mm-hmm. way, and so it was really intriguing. Yeah. And then I asked you to join us for our for that three day show we did at the studio, and yeah. it was just a wonderful experience. That was but, a lot of fun. Yeah. So tell us about your journey. How did you start typing on the typewriter? And... Um, so I've been traveling mm-hmm. on and off for a few years. Uh, this is prior to COVID, mm-hmm. obviously. I guess my first experience with a typewriter poet mm-hmm. was in London. I was in Europe overseas, and there was a guy outside Shakespeare's Globe doing mm-hmm. exactly mm-hmm. that, sitting there writing um, poems for people on demand. Um, and I don't know. I just thought it was cool. I got to talk to him for a while. Um, just about what he was doing and about poetry, um, mm-hmm. being a writer. Um, and at the time, I hadn't even delved into poetry. I was mm-hmm. strictly prose-based, like right. short stories. Mm-hmm. I was working on a novel. And it wasn't until years later that I started getting into poetry more mm-hmm. seriously. And I kind of hit this period where for like two or three years, all of a sudden, I, all I could write was poetry. I stopped writing prose mm-hmm. at all, mm-hmm. other than I was freelancing at the time. So I'd have some assignments, um, you know, like restaurant reviews, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, but in my private writing, it was, it was all poetry. And, uh, I came to Phoenix, uh, and it was at a first Friday. I met a gentleman here in town who, uh, his name's Isaac. He goes by Giddy Face. Mm-hmm. Um, look him up on Instagram. Okay. Um, he does the same thing. He's a typewriter poet. And I was a little bit hard up for money. I was, mm-hmm. I was working at the hostel in Phoenix for room and board. Mm-hmm. I was trying to figure out a way to get some cash, you know, mm-hmm. survive as, as artists do. And saw this guy doing that. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's right. That's a thing you can do. I can do that. <laughs> right. Uh, I think it was like later that week I got my first typewriter. It was like 30 pound like desktop mm-hmm. royal typewriter. Like absolutely not ideal for this kind of thing. <laughs> but it was 20 bucks or something off of offer up. So mm-hmm. I just got it because it's what I could afford at the time. Started doing that. Went up to Scottsdale. Went to Sedona. Um, and started doing the farmer's markets mm-hmm. here in town. And then eventually got a smaller portable one. It's funny, you, you say that as if, oh, yeah, this is a thing you can do. Well, that's not a thing that everybody can do. True. It's a thing, it, it's a thing that I could do. I recognized immediately. Mm-hmm. I, like, I was just like, oh, right. this is what I've been writing for. This is what I've been preparing for for like right. two or three years now. Um, and it fit my lifestyle in terms of just being something uh, you can pick up and go. Like mm-hmm. my whole setup, I can pack up in less than like 10 minutes. Right. And just be, you know, out the door. So if I'm traveling around, it's perfect. 
Mm-hmm. And you don't have to worry about having a plug. Exactly. This was, so this was my thinking of the, uh, I think this is why typewriters are coming, kind of coming back as a means of writing, like especially for street performers is because mm-hmm. you don't need a plug. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you like, if you were using an, an electric typewriter, you need a plug. If you're using a laptop, you need a printer. So I'm not going to sit there with my laptop <laughs> and a printer on the right. street. Like that's insane. Well, you could get a dot matrix printer. That would be true. True. Cleo, let's not interrupt the show. <laughs> so you said you were, you had written some novels or had worked on a novel. Or? I'm, I've been working on one for about seven years now. It's uh, on and off, not like consistently. Um, that was my first COVID project was to delve oh. back into that. Mm-hmm. Right. It's the kind of thing where I'll work on it for a while, realize I'm kind of missing a skill set. Mm-hmm. um and go and refine that for a bit so like this most recent iteration i've been working on it at the beginning of covid again and it was like this time i'm gonna finish it kind of thing and i hit a point where i was like uh, i was working with symbolism and metaphor metaphor mm-hmm. and trying to figure out how to do that like in the context of a story at a moment where i was kind of just like i don't know if i ever really learned how to do this like in school or even outside of and I was kind of sitting there and I was thinking, man, I don't really know if I even know how to like create convincing characters. Um, I so wouldn't. It's, it's complicated, like, like most definitely. And hey, it's not hey, the, no. hang on a second. I've been <laughs> rereading the foundation. You don't have to create compelling characters. <laughs> That's true. To be successful. No. There's, <laughs> there's plenty of authors that get away from it or uh, get away with it. Mm-hmm. But to me, character is the most important part of storytelling. Like obviously having a compelling plot um, mm-hmm. and like world building can be a lot of fun. But to me, what's really engaging about a story is characters you can relate to mm-hmm. and, and see yourself in the shoes of, or even ones that are completely antithetical to who you are, mm-hmm. but are engaging for other reasons. Right. For me, that's really like central. And I kind of had this moment of realizing that like when you go to school for an English degree, they don't mm-hmm. teach you how to write, they teach you how to read and they teach you how to argue. That's interesting. And like analyze. Yeah. And they teach you how to write in the context of like academic essays and like right. argumentative writing, Correct. but not creative writing and I have a creative writing degree and even oh, wow. that wasn't educational enough or informative enough to feel like I knew what I was doing so I, I've spent the last year or so going back and kind of like just making YouTube playlists mm-hmm. um, I got a master class subscription oh. and just been kind of going through that material just to develop that skill set yeah most definitely um, so I've been focusing on short stories that kind of exercise mm-hmm. those um, those features mm-hmm. that's an interesting point uh, when I went to school I was going to oh Catherine did you know I went to RISD Thanks for reminding me. Oh, I just want to make it's sure an you remember. Ongoing thing. It's an important. It's important <laughs> that you remember that. <laughs> when I went there, I thought I was going to study painting, but I wound sure. up in industrial design because the first year I discovered the painting department technically taught painting, but mm-hmm. it seemed like they were talking. They were teaching more art speak and how to criticize work than to actually paint. And all the yeah. paintings that were coming out of the department were trash. Mm-hmm. This goes back to one of the premises that I've. I've well, not premises. See, I, I've lost my words this morning. My ideas, one of my ideas that I've had is that you can't really go to school for a creative endeavor. The schools just aren't set up for that, which is unfortunate because they could be. I agree. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I think I would take that a step further because my two degrees, one was in psychology, which was worthless, and then my nursing degree. And I don't think either prepared me for anything other than graduate school. The mm-hmm. nursing degree didn't. Nursing was more technical, but you know, you you throw yourself out there even after all the clinical and all the practicums and everything else you do, and you're on the floor the first time you realize you know nothing. Well, at least it gives you the basis. You know, though. it gave me yeah. some basis, but I think really the the true learning, I felt so unprepared right. initially, well, that, and so I think it was more of a technical exercise. Mm-hmm. To some degree, I think education is just proving that you can learn stuff. 
not necessarily right. stuff mm-hmm. you need to learn, but yeah. you will learn stuff on ongoing. Getting that certification. Right. Yeah. Right. And what they didn't instill a lot, and I saw it a lot in, I mean, now I'm like dating myself, but the younger nurses, as I moved out of the bedside and, and did more clinical and study work and different kind of quality, is they don't teach any like critical thinking or that rationalization process. So the ability, it's really easy to regurgitate a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. but it seemed like the, the critical thinking skills were sorely lacking. Uh, that's one of the things that drew me to the industrial design department was that they, it looked like they were teaching the kids not only how to make things, but also how to think about it. There's a creative that's process. Important. I had a great professor there. One of the most important things he, he taught about was the creative process. Mm-hmm. If you're stalled or something, it is a process. You can create a process mm-hmm. so you don't get stalled. So you don't have writer's block or artist block or anything like right. that. I think for me, the past couple of years have been figuring out what my process is. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's another thing you don't. No one, no one can teach you that really. No. You can pick up tips from people mm-hmm. and, oh, this worked for me. Or, you know, like reading people's autobiographies, for example. And um, I'm actually reading Arnold Schwarzenegger's autobiography <laughs> right now. And it's weirdly inspiring. Like, I don't know, very informative mm-hmm. just how he is. And he talks a lot about his worldview and stuff. And even that, there's been little tidbits of like, mm-hmm. oh, that's interesting. Maybe I can apply this to writing mm-hmm. in, a, in, a, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just the kind of thing where you try to bring in as much information as you can from like every source. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he, he like bodybuilding was not a sport before he made it a sport. And recently I kind of helped start a, a new slam in town because the old one kind of was, was having some issues with ownership. Uh-huh. So the people who frequented that slam, like friends of mine, other poets, um, kind of we started our own slam. It's a ghost poetry show, GPS. They've been doing events out of Film Bar for the past couple months now. I know there's a couple other slams that popped up in the area as well. So there's definitely like a vacuum now that's being Mm -hmm, filled mm -hmm. that people are trying to move into. It's been kind of a wild couple Oh, where's Film Bar relocated? Are they still, they're not? Uh, They're at the same location. Are they? Okay, because I thought they closed did they i don't know i read about it and i was sad i was there fairly recently um maybe i I haven't been as in touch with that group i kind of helped get the ball rolling and then i stepped away because i just i have too many projects going on right now and if i'm being honest performance really isn't my bag Uh uh-huh like i was never a theater kid i liked making films when i was younger Mm -hmm. but i was the guy behind the camera and that's Mm -hmm. kind of always been my role um i like the directing and the production aspect and writing obviously more so than the performance acting slam for me was definitely stepping out of my comfort zone and trying to do something new and I enjoy it, but it's definitely, it's not something I, it's more of a hobby or a passion Mm -hmm. than like a career for me. Whereas Mm -hmm. like some of the other poets in town, um, like my friend Katie Pritchett, like that's her, she's a phenomenal slam poet. Um, that's absolutely a career path for her. Like she's very, very talented. Do they get paid for their performances? So it's not with the slam. It's in the same way that it's open mic signups. It's just Mm -hmm. first come first serve the way you kind of monetize that. If you're not running the slam yourself and selling merch and that kind of thing would be feature sets. So the same way that like a comedian will go to the comedy clubs Mm -hmm. and kind of just do the rounds and go out week after week after week, Mm -hmm. uh, hoping that there's someone in the audience that's going to go, okay, I like what this person's saying. They're funny. Let me give them a spot. So it's just, you know, hoping there's a person in the audience that's going to see you and be like, okay, I want to feature you as a poet. Here's like a 20 minute set at this location for this amount of money. And depending on the venue, that can be kind of lucrative. Obviously there's not the same kind of scene for poetry as comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's, it is a little bit tougher, but uh, it's definitely doable. You know, people like Rudy Francisco have made a career out of it. Mm-hmm. And, like he was on like The Bachelor recently or something. Like 
you know he's like pretty famous um I as far no as the poetry community. About it. did you know about this no but again i don't expect to because I, words are not my thing oh i think it's fascinating and, yeah and poetry scares me a little bit it's intimidating most definitely i, I think the way poetry is taught in school has absolutely been responsible for turning off an entire generation mm-hmm. because it's taught through an academic say, a setting and you're you're reading Shakespeare and you're reading mm-hmm. Dickinson mm-hmm. both of which are great poets but for 10 to 15 year olds or like whoever's like kids reading that mm-hmm. they're not able to relate to it or even right. understand the language right. really yeah um, I didn't yes. understand Shakespeare until I was in my 20s yeah exactly and I started reading it out of school you know with no prompt and I, I've and I've heard this from several people of like I never got this in school but mm-hmm. I went back and decided to read it at some point and now it resonates with me because mm-hmm. now I can uh, you have the patience to sit there and, and unpack everything. Right. It's patience. It's development. Some of it is just maturity. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, really, I, I think you need a basis of understanding, a mature understanding and a little bit of lived experience to understand Shakespeare. Yeah, most definitely. It's like I, I have a 16 year old son and it's we're careful about what we watch. But a lot of it isn't so much about the violence or, or sex. I don't really care what he sees sex-wise. It's more, you know, gratuitous violence is the thing that sure. really turns me off for him. I'm also careful about mature content, like a clock, Clockwork Orange. Like, it'll be years before he's going to re- be ready to see that. But mm. even a film like MASH, mm. anyone can watch MASH. There's nothing controversial about it, but I, I still haven't shown it to him because I want him to have enough maturity to understand it because it's yeah. a complex adult film. It, yeah, it really absolutely. Is. Yeah. And he's so much smarter than me. I think he's about ready. <laughs> so have a smart kid because you can show them stuff sooner. <laughs> you can share your interests. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's well past my interest now. I mean, I, oh, I, really? I'm a console gamer. You know, I, I play on an Xbox. Sure. But he's already he's a PC gamer. And oh, yeah. No, he's got to lay up on you. That's the master race. I have to concede. So it's okay. <laughs> I, I also, as a, as historically a console gamer, you know, I played a few PC games like, you know, StarCraft, Warcraft, whatever but mostly console and I recognize PC vastly superior. There's really no contest. Right. But I just, just like don't, the controller. Don't tell them don't tell the console players that though. No, they're already pretentious enough. <laughs> the pretentious you think the console players are pretentious. No, the PC oh, the, P- the oh, PC right, right, players. Right. They're it's all, all all my gaming rig cost me ten thousand dollars. <laughs> like cool, you could have put a down payment on a house, my man. Or like, bought a car. Yeah. Yeah, I, bought a car. That's what I love about console. I you know, spend three or four hundred dollars or five hundred dollars every five or seven years yeah it's more accessible i I saw an article back on i think it was axios several months ago about how uh gaming is racist because it's so expensive to get into and i was like thinking Hmm. you know per hour of gaming it's really not yeah especially if you get a a used console for like 200 bucks and then you you can go to gamestop and buy used games you can buy like 10 used games for 10 bucks each and for real go to town yeah, I, I mean, I I recently, I'd actually been out of gaming for a while because of travel, mm-hmm. but I bought a PlayStation Also, 4. you're an adult. Well, well, also, <laughs> well, I mean, I don't think that's, the time issue is definitely a factor, but mm-hmm. uh, no, I got a PlayStation 4 for like 200 bucks off offer up and then got the, the new Last of Us mm-hmm. game for like 20. Right. You know, it's 220 bucks for, I played that game for 30 hours. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how many movies? Yeah, and I, I mean, I still play. So. A lot, yeah. I just play Halo though, so I'm really dull. <laughs> I'm very, li- I'm a it's limited classic. gamer. It's classic. Yeah, it's classic. <laughs> I don't play any of that. Um, you play tro- Pop Tropic. Tropic Escape on my uh, iPhone. I mean, is that gaming? What is that? Of course, it's, it's like, gaming. Yeah, is yeah. it? Accounts. Yeah, it's like okay. uh, casual gaming. I believe is the, the casual term, gaming. But, yeah. I don't know. These ladies seem like it's more than casual for them. Oh, it's addictive. Yeah. <laughs> Those games. It are, is addictive. Yeah, it's designed to t- suck your time up. Most definitely. Yes. Yes, and you've got to, you know. 
grow the rice. Yeah, we had our last our last guest uh, was also involved in this game, and they started talking about it, and it sounded like they were re- it sounded like a second life for you guys. It is, yeah. Almost like a metaverse. Some of the group <laughs> has gotten very serious. Mm-hmm. It's a little it's a little intense right now, but anyway, <laughs> 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 when the cruise ship comes in, their quote is to meet, and it just drives me crazy. You know, it, it seems silly, but then you know, my gaming is just as silly. Yes. I was screaming obscenities at my TV two nights ago oh because it was being very mean to me. Yeah. No, kids are mean. Oh, no, not the kids, the game. Oh, the game. Yeah, oh, it was just oh, being very mean. solo? Okay. Yeah, that's <laughs> not a good mean. thing to do. No, I stopped playing online, like competitive online, because one, they're just way better than you. Like, you're never going to be as good as a middle schooler who has nothing but time to sink into this game. But also, they're mean. They're well, really mean. Are they really? Yeah. I, I counter their, their superior dexterity with superior tactics that's the only way to do, yeah that's what you gotta do also i as i've said before i i play with better players and i hide behind them so as they almost kill someone i come in after they're dead and kill the person yeah right right yeah just steal the kill yeah but mostly you play with other people because it's uh it it softens the loss when you're talking to other people and you have it's not just the game it's also about talking to people sure yeah yeah i have the social aspect and it mocking does. them for not having gotten vaccinated yet Stuff like that. <laughs> oh my yeah. god! Yeah. Oh, we are. You know, men are not nice to their friends. No, I don't no. know. I don't I'm, know what I'm women nice are to like. my friends. I'm online? Pretty, I don't. I don't play online anymore. Well, yeah, I haven't done. I haven't played online since like college. I want to say I gave that up like ten years. All right. Ago. How old are you? Thirty. Yeah, <laughs> kids. There was no online gaming when I was in college. In fact, Fair. I remember here. You want to know how old I am? Mm. One day, my, my roommate called me into his room and said, you got to try this game. This is a great game. Mm. So I sat down. I played for 15 minutes. I said, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done in my time in my life. It's I went pong. to bed. We'll get there. <laughs> no, but I, I, I was one of the original adopters of Pong, or nice. my friend was. I didn't have it at the time. But So the next morning, I woke up, and I noticed both of my roommates were still in my other roommate's room, and they were still playing this game called Doom. Not Doom Eternal or whatever. Doom, Doom. 2 or 3. The original Doom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was an awful game. Dune? And my son, my son, no, Doom. Doom. With, Doom. A, with an M as yeah. in murder. Oh, no. And my son still plays that game. It's a classic. Ugh, it's crazy. The attention to detail in the original Doom is actually like, the level design's very... Uh... Repetitive? <laughs> that's what I felt. I felt like I just kept running down the same corridor. I mean, yeah, that's fair. The, the, you, you work with what you got in yeah, yeah, 1980, whenever that came out. Yeah. Uh, 90. 90? Oh, was it that way? 93, okay. 92. Uh, okay. Like that. Oh, <laughs> I'm wow. not quite that old. It's like 89 or something. I don't know. <laughs> not quite that old. I think of Wolfenstein. Yeah, I think Wolfenstein was Came earlier. out first, yeah. I don't know any of this. Well, that's your fault. We can start over. My, my son can give you a whole class on it. Yeah, Maybe we should to. have him do, on. Do an episode Maybe. of Gamer History. <laughs> oh, Gamer History. That's, that's an awesome idea. Yeah. Yeah. She says okay. she rolls her eyes. She <laughs> says that she rolls quiet. her eyes. <laughs> Everyone got really quiet. It's just like, Cleo oh could help God. with that. <clears throat> okay. Don't pay any attention to what we say. We don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> That's weird. So, no, I thought I had, uh, back to the film bar, I can't stop thinking about mm, it. Okay. Because I thought that they were closing because of COVID. Is it still across from Angel's Trumpet? Yeah. Oh, yeah, perfect. I went there last, I mean, the last time I was there was a month ago, so it was last first Friday. Um, but I'm pretty sure they held an event at the end of the month on the 26th Good. was the I last liked that go place. show. We were like they booked they booked us up through the end of the year. Love so it. I, yeah. Oh, I'm thrilled. I didn't follow anymore because so many businesses were closing or doing these weird timeouts, and I saw an article and I got really sad about it because I always thought it was a really cool venue. 
Yeah, no, Film Bar is great, honestly. Film Bar is great. There's really no better venue for a poetry slam in Phoenix mm-hmm. that I've seen. I mean, okay. there's a couple that I would like are equally as good. Uh-huh. Um, uh, Poetic Soul has been going on at Club Downtown, I think it's called, mm-hmm. uh, right next to the Grand. Okay. Uh, for like, I think like 15 years or something. Okay. I mean, that's a great venue. Um, they do cool stuff there. And I think the Nash also has a stage. I haven't been there, but mm-hmm. I've heard that's a pretty mm-hmm. cool venue. But, I mean, Film Bar is just, it's an ideal location. Uh, it was a good grab by uh, one of the poets involved. So mm-hmm. so you were talking about process earlier and being more character-driven. Mm-hmm. Uh, you didn't mention, actually, what your novel was about. You don't have to give a overview. It's about just... a lot of things. I'll give the succinct version. It's basically uh, speculative fiction, like sci-fi, oh. um, like near-future sci-fi. So taking place in like 2050s i think it's that mm-hmm. it's very focused on ar and whole i know like the metaverse thing mm-hmm. is big now but I, like i said i was writing this i started writing this seven years ago mm-hmm. um so it was around that time google glass like the first one came mm-hmm. out and i was like oh this is the next thing this mm-hmm. is like you're gonna be wearing your phone on your face uh and i very <laughs> i mean i very much still feel that way it's just it looked stupid so people didn't want to use it uh-huh. um but you know if you can make it look like i mean all three of us are wearing glasses right, <laughs> right. now if you can make it look like this mm-hmm. there's no reason not to be completely submerged in that environment mm-hmm. constantly oh um, that's that's uh, a future that i really really don't want <laughs> no no it's 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 honestly terrifying um a lot of like it makes me think of David Eggers uh, the circle if you've ever read that it's centered on this fictional company that's very much just a Google like it's just a um, you know re- a rebranding of Google but mm-hmm. um, it, it's about all of these technologies that exist now like mm-hmm. today mm-hmm. Uh, just being popularly applied and like commercially available um, and what that could lead to and it's terrifying I mean you get to the end of the book like uh, I finish it and I don't smoke cigarettes anymore, but mm-hmm. I, this is back when I, I was still smoking. I, I immediately went outside for a cigarette because I was just like stressed. It's just <laughs> wow. like, oh my God, like this is a lot to, to digest. Um, well, it's kind of like Star Trek got uh, the future, our future right, but just mm-hmm. in the wrong way. Like we're not the Federation, we're the Borg. Yeah, I, I very much so. Um, I, I would like, I would say for me, what I'm working on, the biggest inspiration would be Brave New World. Mm-hmm. Um, which one um I'm the Huck Huxley's Huxley. Brave New World okay uh so you know you, you have 1984 George mm-hmm. Orwell right, right. it's a society of like deprivation and oppression mm-hmm. which very much places like North Korea mm-hmm. ha- have kind of taken a cue from that book in a real way but our society is much more like that depicted in Brave New World where it's just this culture of massive consumption mm-hmm. and overstimulation mm-hmm. and extraction and I mean we're living in that now it's not really arguable i think everyone kind of acknowledges like all three of us right now have phones sitting on the table and any at any minute they can go off and all of a sudden you're sucked into this other world that's you know just a bunch of buttons every time you press them you get a little serotonin bump because oh i got a new like on that photo i posted or whatever the thing is so like no it's right. it's truly horrifying if you sit there and think about it too <laughs> well it is i have been thinking about it because you know in terms of like the gaming i need to back off today and i told them we report to the group. It's like it won't be on. And I do have other things to do. But I don't find this that far away, this mm. thing, from having it on my face. Yeah. Because it's in my face all day. Exactly. And I do get that. I mean, a friend called me the other day and she's like, I misplaced my phone and I freaked out. She goes, and that's when I realized I am so addicted. Mm-hmm. She goes, this is just like an addiction. No, like when I was smoking. If you misplace this thing, instant anxiety. Anxiety. Anxiety all day until you find it. 
Exactly. And, and so it's not that much different. It's like, I feel like my world has become, and particularly with COVID, when other things have kind of yes. disappeared yeah. or just dispersed and went behind closed doors, this became kind of my universe. And I'm just getting really boring and sucked into this. So, and, and it's harder <laughs> to be, you know, it was hard to be creative anyway with all of the distractions that sure. were going on because of COVID. And then this, it's like when I, it's almost like too much energy. I'd rather play Tropic Escape. Yeah. Or I'd yeah. rather just well, search. At mm-hmm. least Tropic the Escape gives you something to go into and, and not necessarily, well, obsess about, but it gives you a focus right. rather than a bunch of different distractions. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, this idea I've been thinking about recently because it seems like it's been coming up in a couple of different places where people seem to have a hard time understanding how their phone works. I've seen a couple of comments like, well, I don't know how this thing comes up on my phone, like uh, notifications or emails. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it feels like I get the sense like they don't understand that there's email and there's Facebook and there's Twitter. It just seems like a stream that's coming into their phone and they don't really know how to control yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And that's a scary thought to me because in some places in the world, the Internet is Facebook. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so that's all you know of the outside world is yeah. whatever Facebook decides to sell you. Well, that was depressing. Wow, that <laughs> is depressing. Now, a friend um, texted me the other day and she's like, I was thinking about someone and I was trying to text you about something that happened at work. And she was when I typed in your name, her name came up, and she's been dead for four years. Oof. And she's like, how the hell did that happen? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm yeah. still on your contact. And she's yeah. like, it was her little pit, pit, you know, her little photo. And she's like, I was instantly just chill. She called me instead of texting. She's like, what the hell? Now is it reading my mind? <laughs> so who knows? I mean, yeah. I'm sure it was just a glitch, right? Oh, well, you know, if she's still in your contacts. You know, that's not going to change. I remember um, Tim Cook a few years ago said that, uh, I don't know, they were at some Apple gathering. Tim Cook is the CEO of Apple, and they right. were at some gathering, and one of the other C- managers came up to him and said, you know, I, I still have Steve Jobs's phone number in my contact mm-hmm. list. Yeah. I can't bring myself to get rid of that. And Tim said, yeah, I, me too. Mm-hmm. So it's sad. it's a weird way. You know, it's, it's affecting all of our lives, including after we're alive. Yeah. I mean, how many, you know, so you have a friend, like I have friends who have passed that they sold Facebooks because they never deleted them before they passed. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. now their Facebook just becomes a memorial wall. You know, you go and check them every once in a while and you see all these people that just some random day they were thinking about this person. So they posted on their Facebook and it, oh. it, it, it becomes very like a, a yeah, like a vir- virtual memorial for this human. It's very strange. Do you that spend much time on Facebook? I try not to. I recently... Um, I, I wasn't spending a lot, but I was spending more than I wanted to. So I took the app off my phone. Mm-hmm. So I just have the messenger now because I want to stay in touch with people. Um, but I, then I just got sucked into Instagram. So it was like mm-hmm. I traded one for the other because right. I, I, you know, I use my Instagram as like a business. Like that's mm-hmm. m- the main way people contact me for poetry commissions mm-hmm. or potential like business ventures or whatever is through Instagram. And I really wasn't using it for anything other than that. But mm-hmm. then when I took Facebook off my phone, I was like, oh, hey, there's this other shiny thing I can poke all mm-hmm. day. <laughs> so I, I kind of got sucked into that a little bit. I'm trying to I would say I'm better than I'll, than some people mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to that sort of stuff. I really only use it very occasionally. Like I'm not spending all day on it. I'm pretty busy most of my day. Mm-hmm. Like I wake up, uh, work out or try to <laughs> depends on the day and then pretty much just write until mm-hmm. I go to my day job, which mm-hmm. I'm a cook. So I go and cook for eight mm-hmm. hours and then come home, try to read or maybe watch a show mm-hmm. and then go to bed. And that's my every day. 
Um, so the time I have to really devote to social media is mm -hmm. like pretty nil. Um, it's pretty much when I'm on the toilet. That's really <laughs> it. <laughs> that's, that's where I catch up with my email. <laughs> well, being busy is a good life hack. Being busy it is, is good. It is, yeah. If you, if you just stay busy all the time, you got less problems. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, I, I don't spend any time on Facebook at all. I, on the rare occasion I actually post anything, which is once a year probably, mm -hmm. I, I remind my friends, don't reply to this because I won't hear you. I have all my notifications sure, off yeah. and whatnot. And they don't listen. And, and I'll get on nine months later and I'll see all these posts that are nine months old. And yeah, respond. yeah. Mm -hmm. But it, for me, it's because there are two things I hate about Facebook. One is aesthetically, it's disgusting. I can't deal with the, their it's interface. It's very bland, yeah. And the other thing is mostly what it shows me is my, my friend's stupid ideas. And I don't, yeah. you know, their political nonsense pictures, and so. bait. Oh God, don't even. Yeah, picture the dog. Oh boy, yeah. I deactivated my account. That is that's like for good thumbs up. I, I would, but I have so many people that the only means of communication I have with them is through Facebook mm -hmm. because, like I said, I travel a lot. So you know, I got friends in Canada, in the UK, right. in Europe, uh, Australia, mm -hmm. like Iceland, wherever. That's the only way I can talk to them. Oh, absolutely. Because yeah. like, I mean, I could use WhatsApp. But then it becomes this whole thing of like, hey, let's migrate to over to this other. Yeah, you're um, you're trading app. one for another. Yeah, exactly, and it's still owned by Facebook, so it's like, right. what's really the difference here? As is Instagram. As is so. Instagram. As is Instagram. Right? Yeah, and I, I will say definitely with running a small business, mm -hmm. it is this weird space of like, I don't want to use this thing for personal whatever, uh, although I do, or like you know, try you want to try mm -hmm. to minimize that, but then also you need to have an online presence because. Mm -hmm. There, like, there's so many visual artists right now that are just making a career off of Instagram, mm -hmm. like for real. And same with poets. Like, there, there's tons of poets that, like, Instagram poetry is absolutely a thing. And what it looks like is one sentence broken up into three lines. Like, it's really just kind of vapid and like, you know, it's like I'm sad today. I'm in love with this person. That's it. Um, <laughs> so I, 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 I am, I'm, I'm appalled by it. I, hey, I really can't. At stand least it. that's poetry I can understand. It's, it's very straightforward. I'm just like, this isn't even a haiku, my man. Like, what? This is just, <laughs> what are you doing? That's just celebrity. Yeah, it's. but people be, people eat it up because they can scroll by it real quick and digest it in an instant. Be like, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, me too, and then scroll on to the next mm -hmm. thing. Um, Instagram is a great platform, especially for visual artists, because mm -hmm. it, it, it is such a simple exactly. visual system. I mean, uh, there are fewer places I can point to as a better portfolio for photographers or painters yeah. or sculptors. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and I have friends that all the time are like, oh, you need to, like, if you want to be more successful, you need to have more exposure on social media. Um, and we'll all the time be like, you need mm -hmm. to post more on Instagram. You need to like follow the algorithm and be posting every day. Mm -hmm. uh, and you need to do these things and you'll be more visible and people will follow you and you'll, and that'll equal money. Right. Well, like I don't know about it. It'll, it'll equal attention, but it'll equal attention, which money. ideally would equal money. Ideally, would ideally, equal money. I don't, right. I don't really know how you monetize that yeah, other than ads, I guess. Well, or like, I, if I'm getting more attention, maybe more commissions. I think that is part of the con, though, is they want you to think that more eyeballs on your stuff, but where, where the reality is, they're just using your content to sell their ads. Yeah, I, I will say though, at least for visual art, I know it is definitely a space of like, if you got an Instagram account that has a million followers mm -hmm. and you're a visual artist, you can now just sell like on the like blue chip markets. Like people will buy your stuff. You could sell paintings for like 500 grand because you have a following of a million people on Instagram. At a certain point. Yeah. Like how, many, how many people are like that? I'm not, I mean, I'm not a painter, so I'm not. <laughs> there aren't that many people who, who reach I'm not entirely sure. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with marketing. Yeah, that's absolutely mm -hmm, true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's almost like a prerequisite to have this thing. 
you know, to have a social that. media following. Like right. if you're if you're trying to break into a creative industry, Twitter's the big thing for writers, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and journalists. And yeah. Well, I saw recently I was watching an interview with um, one of the writers for The Late Show. Um, and she was saying, you know, if you don't have a Twitter account mm-hmm. uh, with like 500K followers, mm-hmm. like, are you even a comedian? You know, like you're are you, like you're 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 not like it was her point, you know. So That's interesting. It, yeah, it's it, it's like a pre like if you're trying to do this thing and break into this field, you have to engage with it in this way, or else no one's gonna take you seriously. It's a resume. It's a calling card. Absolutely, it's part of your resume. Yeah. Hmm. And I think a lot of it still is based on celebrity, you know, or how you know yeah. marketing and how you get those followers. Yeah, exactly. Not, you know, in the early days of the internet, which I was <laughs> around for, I built you know I built web pages before there was, well, a long time ago. <laughs> The, one of the ideas was, oh, this is going to open up for everybody. Everybody is going to yeah. be able to get on, and, and, and things are going to be based on your merit, not on who you know. Sure. And I think for a little while, in the er, like in the early blogging days, in the early podcasting days, that was true. But at some point, like everything else, it just gets absorbed or, or overrun by marketing and celebrity. Hmm. So it's not quite as open as we'd hoped it would. And it's probably even worse now because of it. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I don't know if it's me or if it's my age, but it feels like it's easier for me to disconnect from all this technology stuff. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine's even more advanced. He, like he he says he he looks forward to the days where he can just put his phone down and walk out of his house and leave it behind. It's like this is yeah. He can't do that every day, but he he enjoys that and he looks forward to it. And he especially likes getting out with his mask on, so no one can recognize him. The cameras don't know who he is. And, <laughs> He's like, inv- he's like an invisible secret agent. There's definitely an allure to that kind of man in the mini now because it's like a luxury. Like you really can't, unless you're trying to go completely off grid, mm-hmm. you can't do that. It, you're just too plugged in. And I say it might be partly because of my age, because I remember, you know, I grew up in the, I was born in 1971, so I really grew up in the 80s and 90s. And mm-hmm. that was, we had a lot of technology, but it was pre, pre-real internet. Right. Mm-hmm. So we weren't connected the whole time. And I remember how that was. I remember having to have a map and figuring out how to get places. And that analog world was simpler in a lot of ways, but it was complex. And I'm, I don't know if it's nostalgia or if there really was something better about that than what we have today in this kind of overwhelming connection. Mm-hmm. I think that was a lot simpler. And, you know, to me, it's like, you know, cause I'm a tad older than you. It's like the more they try to simplify things, the more it seems complex. It's like setting up a cable connection. You're an interconnection, right? Right. In the old days, you plucked your phone in, and it either worked or didn't work. And right. nine times out of ten, if it didn't work, is because your phone, something, some circuit in your phone blew out, and you just replaced the phone. Really right. easy. These days, if your internet goes down, it could be one of a thousand different yeah. problems. Yeah, exactly. It could be so a satellite are, in orbit. Like. Things seem internet- like they're getting easier, but are they? No, I don't think so. You know, my ongoing angst with Verizon. Periodically, I have this weirdness with Verizon. What kind of weirdness? I was trying to increase my some sort of data thing. And then they're like, no, you have to disconnect your bill from like this other thing and blah, blah. I mean, I don't know. And what used to be like you'd get a you go to the mailbox, you get a bill, you'd look at the bill, you'd send a check and you were done. And now it's 45 minutes of like, what's the prompt and what's the this and what's it? I mean, I spent so much flipping time the other day. Because evidently, I don't know what happened. Like someone tried to hack into my Verizon, my, my Verizon account, mm. and so I got this horrifying text. It's like, oh my god, if this isn't you, and so I'm calling. But to even get through, and so I was kind of anxious, and I couldn't find the 
passcode. And so yeah, you're trying to yeah. get through the pro- I'm like, what? The-? I mean, it was like literally 45 minutes to get to the point where I thought maybe someone could do it. And then like another hour to fear. And she's like, oh, no, we've got to disconnect. So then they disconnect my, my Verizon account. So I have no way to pay anything online. And they're not sending me a bill. Yeah. And I can't access anything. And then she's like, well, and so we'll send you whatever. And then I got a notice that I was late and I'm like, well, no one caught, wow. you know, and, and it was literally within days mm-hmm. and there was like a balance of seven. It was just ridiculous. And I'm like, how balance many freaking hours? How much was the balance? It was like $121. Oh, okay. But I paid it all. And so I finally got someone that, you know, she's like, well, I can't take any payments. You've got to go through this thing. Do like hashtag something, something whatever. And I'm like, you know, I seriously, it was like hours of my life. To fix one little billing. To problem. fix one little yeah. billing thing because some asshole tried to hack into my My Verizon account. Why? I have no idea why. You're very important. Who this does podcast that? is putting you on the map. Who does that? But I why? Know, what, everybody who tries to do it. But well, what's the, there? I mean, I don't, you know. Well, they, I mean, credit card information for one. Yeah. Like, yeah, if you're making payments through it, that's probably, like, I don't know what they were going after, but that's or, definitely. You something. know, once, if they have control of your telephone number, they can reroute text yeah, messages and they can take over basically your whole life. And I just usually don't talk about. Uh, in the news technology, uh-huh. in the news technology news, Mr. Wordsmith over here. Yes. <laughs> uh, but I just saw this today. Hackers have gotten a lot more clever and they will send out robocalls that says, oh, this is Bank of America. Mm-hmm. We suspect your account is being hacked. Mm-hmm. Please enter this four-digit code that we're sending to or texting to you right now mm-hmm. and we can clarify this and lock, uh, lock out the hacker. But that call is actually coming from a hacker mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they instigate that four digit code being sent to you. That's mm-hmm. actually coming from the mm-hmm. correct source. And then once you put that in the phone, now they've unlocked you this, the two, two step authentication. They've unlocked your uh, account. Right. So, I, I've heard about this. Yeah. So do not ever respond to people on the phone. If, if one of your companies calls you with a security concern, hang up and call them. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's what happened. I just didn't even respond to that because I wasn't sure if it was Verizon. Yeah. And it was. And she's like, no, this is going on. It's like, I'm, you know. That's your security tip for the week. Oh, thank you, James. Thank you, James. Anyway, back to writing. Now yeah, let's get back. Thank you. You read my mind. Technology. <laughs> Stupid technology. <laughs> well, it was related to what I'm working on. So uh-huh. Right, right, right. Way. The sci-fi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The sci-fi. Yeah. So, it, uh-huh. yeah. So, it's all, of, it's all of these things, though, right? It's so, all your fault. Um, it's all your fault, DJ. It is. This, it's <laughs> usually my fault, if I'm being honest. So, this is part of why it's taken me seven years to write this book is because it's, you know, I'll read something like this, mm-hmm. for instance, and be like, oh, that's cool. That's an inter- interesting idea. Like, how is mm-hmm. this going to play into mm-hmm. um, what I'm working on? Uh, and, you know, technology is constantly changing, so it's constantly trying to update this thing I've, I've been doing. But yeah, it's a little bit of a struggle just to keep up. Like, if you're a science fiction writer nowadays, mm-hmm. trying to keep up with the pace of technology um, oh. and projecting out, like, what that might look like, I think is mm-hmm. very, very difficult uh, in a way that may be... Uh, not that that hasn't always been a challenge, but I just think the pace now is such that it's a lot harder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, than say, like, when Asimov was writing. or mm-hmm. I think when Asimov was writing, the skies were a lot less clear so there was most the, definitely you could make up stuff mm-hmm. a lot yeah. more easily yeah absolutely and it's hard to like predict things that you just have no context for mm-hmm. um so you know the first science fiction writer h.g wells i i read a novel of his a while ago that um you know this guy was writing about the future before computers mm-hmm. this whole city he was like world building uh it was just a system of like levers and pulleys like it's all mm-hmm. it was and it's like telephone wires was everywhere and that was the big thing so it's just like i don't know kind of funny reading some of the retro sci-fi mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. and be like wow this is like way off the clearest thing i remember from the foundation series was this one 
scene where he they're on a spaceship mm. and they want to calculate the hyper jump to the next system or something. And the guy's sitting down and writing it out by hand, the calculation. Yeah, so right. he spends like a day and a half. It's like, Isaac, how did you for not figure out that computers are going to take this over? Yeah. yeah it's like, see, like that literally a calculator. Pretty, yeah, yeah. Like calculators already existed. Maybe he just wanted to do it by hand. Maybe he's like one of those guys. I don't know. That sounds, it just, it's, <laughs> it, 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 that was when my disbelief was suspended. Sure. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, ah, sorry. You got this one wrong. <laughs> yeah. That's, I, I think that's very easy to do with science fiction just because if you're really off base with something, it, it looks very hokey and corny. And it's mm-hmm. like, ah, uh, like this guy, you know. I'm, I'm usually pretty uh, forgiving about stuff like that. Sure. But yeah. that was one point where it just wasn't. Plausible. Yeah. No, most I mean, definitely. You, you probably, yeah. Ah. Ah. one question i have is like when you're writing on a novel because i i always have let me just retract a bit i always have these really what i consider fantastic ideas sure and it's just like oh i should that be fantastic and it just comes and it's just like this brilliance flash of light and then it's like how do you move forward out of that brilliance yeah how do you how do you what's the process i mean how do you do it i mean i have this like we were talking about a novel i'm like i just dynamite idea sure. for like a movie script and this would be like blockbuster i have no clue i mean it is so ridiculous like right. world building you're talking world building you're talking character development you're talking like a plot i just had this idea and mm-hmm. i could see literally flashes in my head how do you get out of that and onto paper and onto something real? right so like the number one piece of advice i would say is just do it mm-hmm. which right. is, sounds awful like it's so unhelpful right but it, like Yes and no. Go ahead. You know, as we were saying earlier, like everyone's process is different. Mm-hmm. So like for me, you know, I, I have an idea and I'll, okay, I have this idea for this character or this mm-hmm. or this plot or whatever, and I'll start to develop it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it really becomes a series of asking yourself questions mm-hmm. of, okay, if this, then what next? Or mm-hmm. if this, then what? Um, and just kind of going through that formula of there are some like key markers you want to hit, mm-hmm. uh, especially with like character, for example. It's okay. I have this interesting character idea. You need to identify their want, their need, and their flaw. And those mm-hmm. are like the three main things you need to have with a character: mm-hmm. their goals, the things they need, the the thing they need to overcome in order to achieve those goals, and the mm-hmm. flaw that's preventing them to do from doing oh, okay. that. And that's really the center of any character in writing. Um, and you can get a little bit more in depth with that. Like, what is their ghost? I.e. Uh, the thing in their past that has led to them having this flaw. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the lie that they are telling themselves as keeping them embedded in this like pattern of behavior? And then what is the truth that they need to discover in order to break this cycle and achieve their goal? So, and then from there, you kind of just ex- extrapolate out like, okay, like what do they do during their day? What is their job? What is their education level, income level, et cetera? Mm-hmm. It really is a series of asking questions um, with like scene development I'll usually just, if I have an idea for a scene, Mm -hmm. write that down and go as far with it as I can. Mm -hmm. And then when it stops, it stops. And it could be in the middle of the book. It could be at the end of the book. It Mm -hmm. could be at the beginning um, or, or, you know, the short story or whatever. I I think the main point you're saying, though, is break it down into smaller chunks. Absolutely. Yeah. If you try to tackle a novel as this giant monolithic, like it's intimidating, honestly. If if you try try writing a novel from word one. And just think yeah. you're going to write the first word and the last word and all the words in between will be exactly in, in order. Uh, yeah. That's, that's going to be impossible. It's, it's the same thing with design. It was one of the mm-hmm. first principles of design that was that I understood that was really very important. If you have a big project that mm-hmm. looks completely insurmountable, just break it down into se- separate chunks yeah. and work on it that way and do what you can. Yeah. You learn over time. I have a, a neighbor of mine, uh, Paul Mosier, wrote a book 
train our ride. It's actually, quote, a young adult book, but I, as an adult, thought it was great. And it was totally outside of my normal reading thing. It's, a, it's about a young girl and her tra- travel across the U.S., going from one caregiver to another. Hmm. And that, that was a very character-driven story. Mm-hmm. And as I'm reading it, I don't know if it's because I knew Paul or just because it was such a different book, I could see, like, points that where it seemed like, I, I don't know, I can't explain it, but I felt like he'd gotten advice for this particular part. Like, sure. The, it was the character was so well developed. It's like, did he workshop this at some place? Either that, he's just brilliant. He he might be just brilliant. Right. I mean, it could be either or both, really. So, do you workshop that? Like, did he, if you have a part of your novel where you're mm-hmm. having a problem, do you go to like a writers group? So that's the other thing I know about Paul is that he's in, he's very active in in writers groups. Right. I don't. I'm a pretty isolated writer. Like, I'm a, I'm an extrovert by nature. Or, or, or like Myers-Briggs, I'm like 52 extrovert, 48 introvert. So I'm like, I'm just sitting on the line. Me too. But I do definitely get energy by being around people and, and mm-hmm. engaging in social interactions, mm-hmm. having conversations, etc. But I, I don't have like dedicated writers groups I go to. I have friends who are creative and who write mm-hmm. or who are just people I, I respect intellectually or creatively. Right. Um, they could be completely different. Mm-hmm. medium or like not even artists just like someone who i know mm-hmm. is sharp and has good mm-hmm. opinions if i really have a problem with something i'll bring it to them and go hey so i'm like trying to develop this thing uh it's not working mm-hmm. like what do you think and it's definitely the kind of thing like I, I imagine writers groups would help and this is a thing i've been wrestling with recently in terms of a friend of mine who is uh, a writer they've been uh, in this fan fiction group and it's really helped them kind of push them both in terms of inspiration and motivation just mm-hmm. to do the thing and I've been kind of watching this being like all right I can see how this is helpful now just because I'm a kind of private person by nature mm-hmm. um, so when it comes especially when it comes to my art you know I'm like oh no you can't it's not finished you can't see it yet you know, yeah it's, it's, it's very private it's it's hard to share sometimes it is it uh, is hard to share I think writers by nature are very private people you know mm-hmm. you, you talk to musicians and they're they're generally a bit more uh gregarious a bit more outgoing and they're performative and performative exactly and a lot of poets are this way as well mm-hmm. um especially the well at least performance poets mm-hmm. i think there's the whole other side where uh of poets who are just written poets they don't perform they don't like mm-hmm. performing they just write for books mm-hmm. and i think that's that's probably a little bit more similar to the to the prose thing speaking of poets sure. uh, do you have a few who, who are a few of your favorite poets mm-hmm. Few of my favorite poets. So classically, I'm a big fan of T.S. Eliot. Mm-hmm. I think he was the first person I read in school mm-hmm. who really turned me on to the thing mm-hmm. uh, in terms of like, oh, this is actually something that's interesting and engaging mm-hmm. in a way that mm-hmm. uh, everything I'd read prior to him, I didn't like. You know, I, I had read Dickinson, I had read Shakespeare, and that never really grabbed me. I like Dickinson a lot now. I, mm-hmm. I read a, a whole collection of works um, by her a couple summers ago, and it was illuminating to say the least but like in school i was just like i don't get this you know i'm being Mm -hmm. made to analyze this piece of work that i don't understand um but reading elliot specifically the love song of jf proof rock i was like oh this is like different Mm -hmm. i guess that's a good reason to have um, not just you know don't don't do the general curriculum of just dickinson and shakespeare but expose the students to multiple poets because if they Mm -hmm. make a connection that's what really can drive them to actually explore Mm -hmm. the topic and be interested in it I think a lot of poetry programs have it backwards by starting from Shakespeare and then working their way up. Um, really, I think younger students should be introduced to modern poetry. Mm-hmm. Uh, people like Reese Francisco, who I'm a big fan of. Also, uh, Sarah Kay, Phil Kay, love both of them. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, mm-hmm. something that might be a little more uh, attainable to them or understandable and then work backwards. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, well, why, it's contemporary. You yeah, know? Why, can't, why don't teachers realize that? 
beats me. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not a teacher myself. I have a lot of friends who are teachers because that's kind of what you end up doing as a writer if you're right. uh, looking for work. A lot of times mm -hmm. people will end up, like when I was in school for English, everyone's like, oh, you want to teach? I was like, no, I want to write. That's why right. I'm studying exactly. this thing. What kind of question is that? Mm -hmm. um, but I have a lot of friends who are teachers and I, I, I would imagine you know, they could probably fill you in a little bit better on this, but I would imagine it has something to do with the assigned curriculums from federal or state level mm -hmm. of like, oh, you know, you got to hit these these particular authors when you're mm -hmm. teaching teaching your students literature. So I imagine it's you don't have a lot of wiggle room for introducing uh, contemporary poets. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wonder about that. I and mean, I'm definitely a person who is in favor of letting local control, you know, mm -hmm. let the teacher run the classroom, let the county run their county schools and don't do it from top down i think you just you just yeah. get it you get the same from everybody and that's mm -hmm. kind of boring yeah i mean i i would agree to some extent i think standards need to like there should be like baseline standards some, probably but very but very little it, like uh i think exper experimentation in general is important especially when we have an education system that is absolutely failing our students yes uh, in a real way like mm -hmm. k through our k through 12 education system is um, falling behind most mm -hmm. other industrialized nations. No, no, or, no, we're well behind. Yeah, exactly. Not well, I mean, sure, sure. We, we, we've been behind for a minute, uh, if I'm being real. So right. I think now is a good time to start thinking outside of the box and trying something, because this is clearly not working, so mm -hmm. we got to change. And, and the th uh, having watched this process over the past 30 years, mm. it's a little bit mind-numbing to see the same thing happen over and over again with the same results. Yeah. They say, oh, t test scores are going down, so let's cut out the arts and do more math and science. Yeah, as if that's the issue. And what happens, the test scores keep going down. Mm -hmm. And they don't stop to think, you know, we we've been doing this cutting the arts for the past 30 years, and the test, grades, test rates keep going down. Maybe that's the problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like a little introspection isn't always a bad thing. It, it also just sucks. All, I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off, but also it's all the top-down approach. Like the, sure, the federal sure. test standards have, you know, just keep getting broader and broader. Mm -hmm. And again, test scores just keep getting worse. Right. Yeah. And it, and it's always, yeah, it's always the arts that gets targeted. Right. And it, like as a creative, that's really hard to watch where it's, there's a lot of emphasis placed on science technology because it produced immediate commercialized, like things you could products you can sell to people. The ways you can make money mm -hmm. and the arts not so much it's a bit more ephemeral mm -hmm. um like you know obviously you can sell movie scripts and you can sell books mm -hmm. but they're not gonna really rake in the cash the way that like an iphone is going to when you have steve jobs selling that right and it's funny you mentioned steve jobs again as yeah but because he was a huge proponent of the arts and he understood the connection between the creative process and the arts and the engineering process. Absolutely. And an engineering process without any creativity is very sterile. You can't really do much with it. No. It doesn't generate anything. You're never going to innovate. Learning an instrument is clear advantages to mm -hmm. developing your mind. You actually become smarter. And it's the same thing with, with arts and engineering. If you mix them, you get better results. Absolutely. All right. Well, then well, I guess we're done. We fixed education. <laughs> now that we fixed education, is there anything else you want to fix before we leave? Solved all the problems. Uh, who global warming? I don't know. <laughs> global warming. Oh, do you want the do, uh, you want do you want the the unpleasant truth about how to fix global warming? Hmm. Nuclear power. Oh no! This is I've been saying the same thing. Oh, there you I, go. No one wants to talk about this. You don't. You want to reduce carbon emissions. And I mean, it's not renewable. Like you're creating nuclear waste. Absolutely. Not really these days. But not really these. Yeah. And also the, the uh, I-tier nuclear reactor in France, is a, it's the world's first fusion reactor. That's supposed to go online in the next decade. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's still very much in the experimental phase. But like you, 
you create that, you just made a sun. Like that's has that's unlimited energy with no nuclear waste and uh, no chance for meltdown. Like, and everyone's talking about you know renewables are great. Like, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no reason all these roofs shouldn't be covered in solar panels, well, especially in Phoenix. Right. Mine is. Uh, well, sure. <laughs> this one I'm looking at's not. They got nails on it for the pigeon, I guess. Yes, because they don't like birds. Oh, he's still sitting up there though. Look at him. Yeah, Shoot. they they knock him off. Yeah, they just Those good, good, good for you, buddy. Good no. Yeah, the pigeons are survivors. I will kill the pigeons. The pigeons are. <laughs> oh, they're flying rats. They need to die. Oh no, Aww. I'm cool with them. They're chill. Burn them in, the, in right. the fission reactor. So yeah, see, I, I'm one with the pigeons. I work on the streets. <laughs> like, I can't, I can't, I can't afford to invoke their wrath. We are like, anti-pigeon here. No, no, I'm pro yeah. pro pigeon party yeah. over here. Once yeah. you have a house, <laughs> most definitely. <laughs> pro pigeon party. Pooping all over everything. I, you just gotta live with the poop, man. No, I don't have I to. Work, I work on the street. <laughs> just more cats. We need more Sitting cats. Out with a typewriter. So, are you at the market every? I'm sorry if I'm talking right. loud. Are you at the market every Saturday now? What's uh, your schedule? Most Let Saturdays. people know where they can find you. Yeah, no, no. So, uh, I've started doing uh, Phoenix Public Market again, uh-huh. uh, the downtown market. Saturdays, okay. I usually show up around nine. I'll be there till close. Okay. Um, I'm probably gonna take off this Saturday just because first Friday is tonight. Uh, oh, it so is. I'm gonna <laughs> I'll, I'm gonna be out tonight doing First Friday. Okay. Uh, and where do you hang out then? Just wherever I can set up. If I'm mm-hmm. being honest, it depends. I'm gonna try to get there early. Probably set up around Fourth to Fifth Street, okay. like that little stretch. Mm-hmm. They get the most foot traffic. Like I'm gonna do that tonight. I'm gonna be up late doing that because I'm always out to like 11 or 12 on First Friday. Right. Um, so I'm probably gonna skip tomorrow's market just because I'm gonna be exhausted. Right. And also the market after First Friday is always kind of hmm. it's always slower. Um, people are tired. You know, people are tired. They've been right. out all night. Definitely uh, next weekend I'll probably be out. Okay, yeah, sounds yeah. good. Yeah. And your Instagram, how they find you on Instagram? Because uh, I love like that you post the you know the pictures of your yeah of your yeah poems. I just think that's so adorable. Thank I just you. I really yeah. like that. Uh, adorable it's adorable and it's just well you see what he's doing and then sometimes it's like the person's hand and they're holding it yeah and it's just very personal i think it's a great thing i always try to like capture i always try to fit up the person's like thumb in there or something Uh like that just so it's a little bit of an aesthetic a little bit like you know there's a real human holding this thing right and for me going back and like i've written like hundreds of poems at this point Uh like maybe like over a thousand i'm Uh really not sure like probably well over a thousand if i'm being real you know, I can go back and I'll see a person's thumb and I'll like, I'll remember. I'll be like, oh, that was this, that was this lady, uh-huh. wow. this guy. And like, I can like picture their face in my head. That's still. crazy. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And, like, you know, some people just stick out to you. I'm very self-conscious about my thumb now. <laughs> what does my thumb say about, about me? It says a lot about you, man. You gotta, yes. you gotta, you gotta keep your cuticles clean. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. <laughs> I try. So. Instagram is uh, words by DJ. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's my Instagram. That's my Twitter handle uh, as well. I'm not really on Twitter, mm-hmm. but one day maybe you'll see me post something. We'll have a link. Uh, it's it's up there. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. And you can reach out words by DJ at Gmail huh. uh, for commissions. Anyone wants to, wants okay. to commission me for that's a poem. Um, I do that. So you prefer Instagram though? Or? Uh, yeah, you can DM, me, uh, DM okay. me on Instagram. That's that's fine as well. That's really. how we connected. This yeah. Time. Yeah. It was over Instagram. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's my primary uh, means of communication with people. Now, that's also where all my stuff is posted. So you can check that out. All right. Yeah, uh, I books for sale. So so we, we fixed education and mm. climate change. Well, that's not bad for an hour. That's great. <laughs> we just have to monetize And we had this. a yeah. delightful yeah. discussion about poetry. and. I still don't understand it, but that's okay. I mean, I like Sarah Teasdale. I don't know. Do you know Sarah Teasdale? Mm, no, I she don't. She was just like an awful poetess. Uh, <laughs> I think late uh, 19th century. Uh, just dead birds and longing love songs and stuff like that. Uh, okay, I'll look her up. 
Don't. Don't? Okay, Don't. I won't. <laughs> yeah. Just look at my thumb instead. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, and so I'll have to keep writing now. I'm a little motivated. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we need to get I your write, website going. Yeah, I write God, poetry, God. but it's not good. Share it. No, I'm not sharing. Oh, God, you're I'd so terrible. I'd you to share yours. Do you have anything mm. you want to read? He's already us, sharing or? it. Okay. Oof. <clears throat> not to put you on the spot, but I think this. we should close I, I like, with I words by DJ. I was like, this might come up, but <laughs> I didn't prepare anything. Um, yeah, if we can. I can just read what I the last thing I wrote at the... Okay. Or, mm, scarecrows or nature? I'm going to give you the choice. Okay. Um, scarecrows. Scarecrows. Scarecrows, okay. Okay, so I, uh, this was just a prompt someone gave me as a gentleman. Uh, the prompt was Scarecrow's Road Trip Clay. It was just three words and like write a poem out of it. Okay. Long winding black top running for miles over barren stretches of earth. The feeling of knots up your spine. The sensation of dirt underneath nails. It's been two weeks since you got gone. Since your poker chips were cashed in and concrete was traded for red clay. Lonely straw man stands in open fields guarding nothing. The crows still coming and going as they please. How foolish of man to threaten the sky. How foolish of him to think the sun looks down with friendly eyes. Thank you, thank you. You pressured me into copying. No, that was good, actually. I I read that this morning. (laughs) Don't mess with the birds. You ever watch Hitchcock? (laughs) (laughs) I have. I watch movies, I just don't read books. All right, I guess we'll wrap. Thank you very much for coming Thank you so much. Thank you. This is a lot of fun. I appreciate you guys. Uh. Okay, we'll have you on again and you can read all kinds of stuff. I'm down.